Dear Father in heaven, oh, Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your grace and your tender mercy. And Father, you are seeking a people to be prepared to see you without seeing death. And I ask, Father, that in this discussion time, in this study time together, that you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that you link our mind with your own, that our heartbeat reflects your heartbeat, Father. And help us see things both old and new. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've entitled this subject, The Angel of the Covenant. And what I tell everybody every time before we study, don't trust me. Please have a pen and paper ready. Write down every verse that I give you. Go back and see whether or not what I'm telling you is actually true. Because as we go through this and as we see the Bible speak for itself... Is going to challenge you in your relationship with God and your relationship with God's remnant church. So I'm going to encourage you. You know, we're going to look at these verses. I want you to think with me as we go through them. And I want you to see the Bible answer its own questions. So I'm going to first put up a, a statement uh, that was written by an ex-Adventist minister. And he wrote this. I think he's like a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist, and he was actually a pastor, and his dad was a pastor before him. And so this is what he said. He said, I can no longer agree to preach or teach the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist church or through my silence imply that I agree with them. But allow me to be plain and specific. I have been a student of the word and been sensitive to the Lord's leading and teaching. I no longer believe that scripture supports. Notice the list. I no longer believe that scripture supports the mission of the church, the three angels. The SCA church is the remnant church, fundamental belief number 13. The investigative judgment, pre-advent judgment, fundamental belief number 24. Ellen G. White is a messenger of God, no longer believe that. The Sabbath is the seal of God. I do not believe that anymore. The great controversy worldview. And we're going to talk about that if we have time. We no longer believe that, although not exhaustive. In other words, I have other things that I have problems with. Although not exhaustive, the above list represents ample reasons for me to tender my resignation. I will minister with integrity. I trust that my work performance in Christian leadership has been indicative of the work that the Holy Spirit has birthed in my life. I hope you will not ask me to defend my decision to follow Jesus Christ and him alone and trust him completely to be the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is interesting to me. Whenever I read things like this, and these are not the, this is not the only thing I've ever read about people that have left the church and left our position, but I always find it very interesting that they, they speak as if these things are opposite of their faithfulness to Jesus. You ever notice that? As if these things are opposite of what God's plan is and his, his plain direction for his church in these last days. And I, I just find it puzzling and strange. Today we're going to begin studying in the book Revelation. I will tell you a secret. Revelation is my favorite book with the book of Daniel. My favorite, favorite, favorite books. I, I, I eat, sleep, drink. I, I love this book. It's, it's so awesome. You know, they say that all the books of the Bible meet and end in this book, in the book of Revelation. And so as you're studying this book, you're going to start seeing things about the character of our Lord that you may have never seen before. 
So in Revelation chapter 10, we're going to read verse 1, and we're going to break it down verse by verse, point by point, and again, allowing the scripture to speak for itself. Revelation 10 and verse 1. I just want you guys to know, pause for a moment, my mother has entered the room. Just want you to respect the, the, the royalty there. All right. So Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were as pillars of fire. Now, what I began to do is I said, I want to understand every nuance of this picture that is given in the book of Revelation. And when God gives pictures, I was doing a study on memory. You know how, you, how to memorize? Do you know what they teach in regards to memory? That the stranger the image, the more that it stays in the mind. So if you, could, if you could create an image and attach an image to an idea or a thought that you're trying to memorize, it kind of stays there longer. And I thought God was ingenious when he made the book of Revelation because it's all image. It's all pictures. And he makes them as strange and as awesome and as wonderful as possible so that they stick in our minds, so that they're plain, so, so we can understand and see what they mean. So... The first thing we read there in, in Revelation 10 verse 1, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head. So what we're going to do, I'm going to look, you and I are going to look together, Genesis chapter 9 verses 13 through 16. And what I did for these first ones, I just put them on the screen so you could see what I see, all right, how I underlined in my Bible. So when I have Genesis 9, 13 through 16, I have it right here on the screen. And I put it here so I can see how I underline. Watch carefully. Genesis 9, 13 says, I do set my bow in the what? Bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen where? Bow in the cloud. There it is again. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature and all flesh that is upon the earth. So if I'm going through the Bible and I'm reading these verses, you tell me, what is the significance of a bow in a cloud? Covenant. Isn't that beautiful? I didn't have to make that up. You came that by yourself. You let the Bible speak for itself. So I see an angel coming down from heaven in a cloud and a rainbow is above his head. It tells me that whoever this angel is, is a covenant keeping angel. Are you following so far? Now let's go a little further. Go with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28. Ezekiel 1 and verse 28. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28. Again, we're studying. We're letting the Bible speak for itself. And you'll be amazed what happens when we finish dissecting this picture. Ezekiel 1 and verse 28. The Bible says, As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of what? The glory. So when he saw a bow and a cloud, it was a representation of God's glory. 
Now, if I were to take, take these two pictures and put one next to the other, and I have a bow in the cloud, and it's representing a covenant. And who's the covenant between in Genesis chapter 9? Who's that covenant between? Say, say it a little louder. God and man. What about this? Every living creature. So it's God and all his creation. Is that right? It's not simply relegated to man alone, but it's God and all his creation. And we see that when a bow is in the cloud, it's a symbol of a covenant. And that this bow in the cloud also represents the glory of God, i.e. the glory and God's covenant are synonymous. But let's go a little further with this idea. I'm just going to build the case. We also see the angel comes down simply in a cloud. Now I went through every Bible verse in Scripture. I looked at every passage. It takes time to do that, you know. There's no haphazard way to go about it. You can't shortcut that thing. I went through every verse and I looked at every passage and only divinity comes in a cloud. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Only divinity comes in a cloud. Watch what the Bible says here in Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them on the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night. According to Exodus 13, 21, who comes in a cloud? The Lord. Look at Exodus 16, 10. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared where? In the cloud. There it is again. Exodus 19.9. Notice. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick what? So only so far in three verses, you only need two or three witnesses. So far in three verses, we've identified that only divinity comes in a cloud. Only divinity comes in a cloud. Let's go a little further. Exodus Leviticus 16 verse 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. There it is again. Do you guys get the point? And what I did, I, I, all I did was go through every single solitary verse. So I'm not going to go through every verse here with you. But I just want one after the other. Let the verse, let the Bible explain itself. Let it speak for itself. Leviticus 16, 13. And he shall put incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Numbers 12, 5. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the... So if I'm building the case now, I'm in the book of Revelation, and I see this angel coming down clothed in a cloud. I'm saying divinity is coming down. And it's a covenant-keeping God. Are you following what I'm saying? So I haven't told you who this angel is or who the divinity or who, or who the divine one is at the moment. But all we did is let the Bible speak for itself. And so far we've established that divinity comes in a cloud and there's a covenant-keeping God that is coming down in this cloud. Let's go a little further with this idea. I'm going to pass this one. Let's look at the sun. The Bible says his face shone as it were the sun. And now we're going to look at just a couple of verses, and you're going, to help, you're going to give me an answer. You're going to let the Bible speak for itself. In Psalms 72, the 72nd division of Psalms, Psalm 72, and we're going to begin at verse 17. Psalm 72 and verse 17. Psalm 72 and verse 17. The Bible says, His name shall endure how long? His name shall be continued as long as the sun. Interesting. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. So if I were, if, if, if the book of Psalms, this one verse, if we're using this one verse, 
what is the equation that is given to, to reflect the purpose of the sun in this verse? What is it? Forever. Forever. It's enduring. You follow the idea? So, so far we see the characteristics of the sun is that it's enduring. Let's go a little further. Psalms 84 verse 11. Psalms 84 verse 11. Again, I went through every verse in scripture to try to identify. I'm only going to show you three right now. But Psalms 84 verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. For the Lord God is a what? Is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So the Bible now says that the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So now we have a, a little equation that's developed that God has been equated to a sun. And we see the characteristics of a sun that the sun is enduring. You follow the idea? Let's go a little further. Psalms 89 verse 36. Psalms 89 and verse 36. Notice again, the language that is used in Psalms 89, verse 36. It says, his seed shall endure, how long? Forever, and his throne as the sun before me. Now this is, again, I don't want to throw big words out there, but this is Hebrew parallelism. So in one part of the verse, it says things one way, and in the second part of the verse, it says the same thought, but just in a different way. So it's like Hebrew poetry, matching lines. Okay, you follow the idea? So if I were to make an a, a equation, a, a fundamental equation for this thought with, in regards to the sun, I would say the sun is enduring equals God is enduring. The face shines like the sun. There's an enduringness there. Don't worry, we're going to build this even further, okay? Notice what the Bible says here. I want you to go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And we're, again, we're just studying, walking slowly. Exodus chapter 34, we're going to begin reading at verse 27. Exodus 34 and verse 27. Hopefully you're writing everything down. Exodus 34 verse 27, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words have I made a what? Have I made a what? Have I made a covenant with thee and with Israel? And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. All right. Watch what it says. Verse 29. And it came to pass that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tables of testimony in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. Can I translate that for you? Moses' face is on fire. I often wonder what that experience was like for Moses. But his face is shining like the sun. What has he gone into the mountaintop to receive? You read it. What did he go to receive? The what? The law. There's another word that's used there. It starts with a C. Covenant. It's a C. It starts it's the covenant. So Moses goes into the mountain to receive a covenant. When he comes out from the very presence of God, his face is shining like the sun. Anybody following the idea? All right, let's go a little further. Notice what the Bible says. Still going further there. Verse 30. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh to him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh and gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. 
till Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil where? He put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he had commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So here again, Moses' face shines. What's the reaction of the people? Fear. Does your mind go to any other story in the Bible when God's glory shows up and people run in another direction? Does any, what's, what, come, what story comes to your mind? When the mountains and rocks fall on us. At the end of time, mountains and rocks fall on us. Any other? Cleansing of the temple. Cleansing of the temple. Absolutely. Any other? Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. That's the one that came straight to my mind. God comes down to spend time with his children and his children run in a different direction. Think about that. Anybody have children in here? Most of you should not raise your hand. <laughs> right? But if you had a child, I have a little girl. She's five years old. If you were here earlier, you got to see her beautiful face right here on the screen. You missed it. Maybe after. But imagine I, I come here to talk to you, and then I go home. And when I get home, instead of my little girl running and say, Daddy, Daddy's home, she runs in another direction. What do you think will happen to me in my heart if that happened? Oh, it break my heart. My mom told me one time, my dad was, right, mama? Right? Yeah. See, my mom's here to confirm. I'm telling true stories. <laughs> my mom had gone down to Alabama. My dad was in California. Took a while doing something out there. I don't know what he was doing. He came back. Instead of his son running to him, I ran in the opposite direction. I didn't know him. Broke his heart. Do you understand the idea? And so here, God is wanting to come close to his children. God's wanting to come close to them, but there's something in the experience of the people that has changed. Has God changed? No, God is still the same. He's, he's absolutely the same person that he was when he first started. Welcome, welcome. All right? He's actually the same person. But what did Moses have to do if he was going to interact with the people? What did he have to do? What did he put on? Put a veil on his face. Go to Hebrews. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Watch carefully. We're building a case. Hebrews chapter 10. Hello. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're beginning at verse number 20. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 20. It says... Actually, start at verse 19, just for a little bit of context. 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he have consecrated for us through the what? Through the veil. That is to say his what? Very interesting. So Moses had to put a veil on his face in order to interact and be around his own people. And the Bible now is equating and saying Jesus had to veil himself in what? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. John chapter 1, and we're beginning reading at verse number 1. John 1 verse 1, the Bible says, you know it by heart, right? 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the what? Uh, you got to think about this with me for a moment. So His life was the light. You see, God could have easily came down Himself without veiling himself in flesh, and he could have just been walking around like a beam of light. Is that right? But he veils himself in flesh so that humanity is not so afraid of him. He veils his glory so that he can interact with fallen creation. Now, his life was the... What does verse 14 say? What does verse 14? Read it for me out loud. What does it say, verse 14? And the word was made what? What's another word for flesh based on Hebrews 10, verse 20? Veil. So the word veiled himself in flesh. And what did it do? It dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. What's another word for glory? There we go. Are you following? And we beheld his glory. The glory of the, of the only begotten of the father. Full of what? So what are the two components? And I'm thinking with you right now because I, my desire here is not just to give you information. I want you to understand the person and the character of our Lord. The God of the universe veils himself in flesh. His life is the light, which is really glory. And there are two components that make up glory. What two components make up God's glory? Does everybody agree with that? Did you hear what they said? Grace and truth... Make up the glory of God based on verse 14 of John chapter 1. Does everybody see that? Yeah. All right. Because I'm not going to go any further than you see because we're going to build a case. All right. So glory consists of two components. Grace and truth. Does everybody follow the idea? Now, let me ask you a question. If a man stands up and preaches and he only preaches about truth, is he preaching God's glory? Okay. Let's, let's work the other side. If a man stands up and he only preaches about grace, is he preaching God's glory? What, what has to be perfectly blended together if you're going to bring glory to God? So both must be presented to, together. Grace and truth must be presented together. Now let me, let, me, let me make the point even more plain to you. There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs 16 verse 6. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6, there's a reason why grace and truth must be presented together. There's a reason why it cannot simply be one or the other. It must be both. In Proverbs 16, verse 6, I would like someone just to stand and read for me, so that way you don't get tired of me talking. <laughs> Proverbs 16, verse 6. Go ahead and stand and read it. Go ahead. Um, in mercy and truth anointed is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord one departs from all right, so that's also a Hebrew parallelism, but I'm not going to work on the second side. I'm going to work on the first side. By mercy and truth, iniquity is what? By mercy and truth. They, most, they both have to be presented if iniquity is going to be purged. I'll give you a, a simple example, a simple idea. Let's say over here you have a, a sick, dying black dog. He's over there in the corner. He's dying. And what you're going to do, you're going to go over there to the black dog and say, Hey, dog, guess what? You need water. <laughs> Tell me, is that dog going to live? 
Well, that's the truth, though. Isn't it the truth that the dog needs water? The truth is that the dog needs water. If you proclaim it as loud as you want to, the dog still will die. So what has to happen with that truth if that dog's going to live? You got to take the water to the dog. And then you say, dog, you got you to drink this. Grace and truth perfectly blended together. If you only present one, you're not going to purge iniquity. Are you following the idea, friends? All right, so now in the face of Jesus, in the face of the, of the Son of God, he's veiling himself in flesh. There's this glory that's emanating. There, it's, both, it's very important now both are presented in order for iniquity to be purged. Again, this is not a sidebar. It's still the same idea. I'm going to draw a pattern for you. You know the pattern when I start to draw. I'm not a really good artist, okay? So just bear with me, okay? So this is my little sanctuary. This is satellite view, right? This is satellite view. Again, remember, both grace and truth must be presented if iniquity is going to be purged. Is that right? All right, so let's, let's follow the idea. Here in the sanctuary, at this altar of sacrifice represents the cross of Jesus. I'm going to assume that you know this already. That this altar of sacrifice represents the cross of Jesus. Tell me, why did Jesus die? Simple idea. For us. Oh, that's my, come on, brother. That's my nephew right there. So I, I didn't know he was right there. All right, so Jesus died for our sins. Did he die because he deserved to die? No. So he died in whose place? So that's grace. Is that right? The truth is somebody had to die. Is that right? So at Calvary, there is grace and truth. At Calvary, there's grace and truth. Grace and truth met together and they kissed one another at Calvary. But I wonder if that same idea is found in the most holy place. In the most holy place, you have this Ark of the Covenant. What's the lid of the Ark of the Covenant called? Mercy Street. The lid of this, this Ark of the Covenant is called the Mercy Seat. I wonder, go with me to Psalms 119. Look at verse 146. Psalms 119, 146. I believe it's 146. Psalms 119, verse 146. No. Psalms 119. 142. Thank you. What does that say there? Psalms 119, 142. I'll read it out loud for you. It says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is what? So tell me something. In the most holy place, do you have grace and truth? Yes. That's right. So both are here. So what's reflected out here at Calvary is re reflected right here in the most holy place. Do you see that? Grace and truth together. Iniquity has to be purged. Now, I pause there for a moment. Let's go a little further. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. We're still dealing with the face signing like the sun. In Matthew chapter 17, and we're looking at verse 2. Matthew 17 and verse 2. You tell me what you see as we read these passages. 17, we'll start at verse 1 and we'll read verse 2. It says, After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine like what? 
Do you see it there? His face did shine like the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So now in Revelation chapter 10, you have an angel that's come down. His face shines like the sun. He has a rainbow about his head, and he's in a cloud, i.e., this is a covenant-keeping God, and it's none other than Jesus. Let's go a little further. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We're just painting the picture here, friends. Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse 12. Revelation 1 and verse 12. Revelation 1 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. It says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like fiery frame. And his feet were as like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth how? Tell me something. Who else could Revelation 10 angel be? Who, could, who else could it be? Nobody else but who? It's Jesus. Now you have to understand, I am setting you up so bad. I mean, the verse is setting you up so bad. You have to understand that this is no ordinary angel. This is Jesus, a covenant-keeping God who has an enduring righteousness that he's presenting to whoever he's coming down to. And I want you to see something else. Let's see if I put it up here. Yes. Can I ask you a question? Why pillars of fire? I want to see what you think first before I, before I go with my answers here. Why do you think... The Bible says his feet were like pillars of fire. I, I'm saying, was it? He's holy. Absolutely, God is holy. No question about it. Anyone else? Cleansing? Is that what you said? Cleansing? Okay. Anyone else? Good answers. Say it again. Ooh, now we're working. Now, now we're working. You know what she just said? A reference to Exodus. That the Lord, but we won't, I won't say it right now. I want you to notice something in the book of Revelation, that the, the book of Revelation does picture variances on purpose. Go back to Revelation chapter 1. You're in Revelation 1? In Revelation chapter 1, I want you to notice something here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 15. I want you to tell me the difference between what you see in Revelation chapter 1 verse 15 and Revelation chapter 10 verse 1. Revelation 1 15 says, And his feet... Like unto fine brass, as if they burn how? So why does the Bible reference in this section his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burn in a furnace? But in Revelation chapter 10, it says his feet were like pillars of fire. Somebody who's surface reading will just pass by that. You just buy, oh, that, oh that's there? Well, it means the same thing. No, it doesn't. His feet were like fine brass. His feet were like pillars of fire. What is the significance? Now, let me ask you a question. Back to the sanctuary for a moment. This piece of furniture here, what was it made out of? I'm talking about the altar of sacrifice. What is it made out of? That's right. It's made out of brass and wood. His feet were like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, the furnace of affliction, sacrifice. Are you paying attention? 
But when it talks about feet like pillars of fire, the writer of the book of Revelation is trying to give you an understanding of God's character. He's trying to highlight a different aspect of his character. Notice what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 13, 21. And we're going to read through it. We're going to read through the verses. And because we're just going to follow the biblical uh, uh, a way of uh, studying the Bible, by the time we're done with the verses, you're going to give me an answer. You follow what I'm saying? So when, I, when, I get, when we finish reading all four of these verses, all you're going to do is tell me what the Bible says the purpose of pillar of fire is. Are you ready? All right, Exodus chapter 13, 21 and 22. And I'll have a volunteer stand to read for us, please. Yes. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Very good. Thank you very much. Next verse, Exodus 14, 24. Please keep in mind what you just read, because you're going to give me an answer based on your thorough Bible study of why pillars of fire. Next, next person, please. Exodus 14, 24. Thank you. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians to the pillar of fire and of the cloud and, uh, and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Thank you very much. Next verse, Numbers 14, verse 14. Next reader. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard... They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Thank you, brother. Nehemiah 9, verse 12. The same person will read 9, 12, and 9, 19. Who will stand and read for us? You should get used to standing and reading the word of God. Amen? Amen. So who will read for us? Take uh, Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also, no, sorry, verse 19, yet thou in thy man, manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day, to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night, to show them light and the way wherein they should go. All right, thank you very much. So on three, you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me why pillars of fire. All right, on three. One, and I expect everybody to give an answer. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> to lead and to God. Is that right? Look at the verse. I'm just going to highlight this one. Just Nehemiah 9, 12. Moreover, in a pillar of cloud thou leddest them. By day and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light in the way wherein they should go. So let's let's go back to uh, Revelation chapter 10 for a moment. Let's put the picture together. All the different pieces that we're putting together with this with this this beautiful composite, if you will. So I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. Translation. I saw divinity come down. Are you ready? This follows. Make sense. Because only divinity comes in a cloud. I saw divinity come down and a, with a rainbow upon his head. A cloud and a rainbow together equals what? Covenant. Oh, it's only two people? Equal what? A covenant. A cloud and a rainbow equal a covenant. 
and his face was as it were the sun. Which sun means what? Enduring. Enduring. Very good. And his feet were as pillars of fire, which means what? That this angel was what? Is leading and guiding. So there is a divine one that comes down from heaven with a covenant to give to his people that is indicating that he is leading them. Are you following the idea? Let's go a little further. Verse number 2. And he had in his hand a little book open. Now, I'm going to change your Adventist system of belief right now. Okay, I'm going to challenge it. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to try to help you expand how you think about this verse. So there's a little book in the hand of this angel. Right? I didn't draw the picture, so don't get mad at me. I just found it online. I just used it, all right? So anyway, there's a little book in the hand of the angel. What about this little book? Is there another book or scroll or anything that had ever been sealed before? So the whole book of Daniel was sealed? Is that what you're telling me? Okay, I heard something come from somewhere. What was that? Who said that? Okay, now I'm going to, we're going to build something here, okay? Let's build. Very good. So, yes, you guys are correct. There is something in Daniel that has been sealed, and we will touch that. But I want to touch this first. I want to deal with Revelation 5, verses 1 through 10. But in order to understand Revelation 5, 1 through 10, I want us to look at a paradigm that is described in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And why don't you guys just go ahead and start reading that for me. What does it say? I'm sorry. This is not Babylon, right? Let's try to read it together. Let's try it again. <laughs> On your mark, get set, go. Go ahead, next one. All right, you're good. So what I did was, as I was examining the verse, I noticed that there was a line of, you know, passage down. They would pass it down. So it would go from the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. So God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the angel. The angel gave it to John, and then John gives it to the seven churches. Do you see that? Okay, so we're going to lay that out on the screen here. I'm going to make it plain so you can see it. So God gives it to Jesus, Jesus gives it to the angel, the angel gives it to John, John gives it to the seven churches. So now in the book of Revelation chapter 5, there's also, or actually through the book of Revelation, I'll just say that, through the book of Revelation, we're going to see something. I'm going to put it here, you can write it down. In Revelation chapter 5, go to Revelation 5. Revelation 5, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. Revelation 5, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the what? On on the backside. Sealed with how many seals? Seven. Seven seals. So here we have God. I'm just going to tell you. Usually I ask the question, but I'm just going to tell you. God is sitting on the throne. There's a book that's sealed and is written on the front and backside. All right. Now, hold your hand right here in Revelation chapter 5. I want you now to go to the book of Exodus. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 32, I think. Let's see. Exodus chapter 32. 
And we're going to begin reading at verse number 15. Let me ask the question again. This book that was sealed, where was it written? On what? Front and back. Is that right? Everybody follow? Okay, Exodus 32, verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on what? Both sides. Very, very curious. And the one on one side and the other were they written, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. So here we see something interesting, uh, a book that's written on both sides. In Revelation chapter 5, we see a book that's written on both sides. I'm going to show you one other in a few minutes, if we have time, that is written on both sides. And it's in direct correlation with what we're studying. So back to Revelation chapter 5. There's a God. He has a book in his hand. It's written on both sides. Verse 2 says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof? Now listen to this. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth. In other words, there's no one that ascended to heaven. There is no man living, and there's no man that died that was able to open the book. And the Bible says not only not able to open a book, but not even to look on the book. So now my question would be, man, what is in that book? Would you want to know what's in that book? Now, nobody's worthy to open a book, look on the book. You can't even, what is in that book? Notice what the Bible says. Keep reading. And no man in heaven, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look through it. Verse 4, and I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Pay attention. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. There's a whole other sermon right here, but I'm just going to stay focused. So who's prevailed to open the book? Okay, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. So Jesus has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. Now jump down with me now. Verse number seven. Verse seven says, talking about, talking about Jesus, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat where? So God has a book in his hand. And Jesus comes and takes the book out of his hand. Are you paying attention? So let's just put a little diagram. So God has the book. Jesus comes and takes the book. And based on what we studied so far, based on what we studied so far, in Revelation chapter 10, who is the angel that comes down from heaven? <coughs> it's still Jesus, is that right? But he's signified as an angel. Are you paying attention? It's signified as an angel. And then tell me. Go back to Revelation 10 for a moment. We're going to go back to Revelation 5. In Revelation chapter 10, look at verse number 8. I'll start reading in verse 8. The Bible says in Revelation 10 verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. It shall make thy belly bitter and it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book. Do you see it? So here, God to the lamb. Lamb to angel. Angel to John. Are you paying attention? Now, John gives it to the 
to the churches. Look at what uh, uh, Revelation chapter 10, look at the last part there. In verse 11, see verse 11? It says, and he said unto me, thou, thou must prophesy again before the many peoples and what? Nations and what? Tongues and what? So now John must give the message to the world. Do you see the parallel? Just throughout the book, this, this is like a little string in the book of Revelation. Pay attention. There is a covenant keeping God. Now you have to think about this for a second. God is the one that gives the message to Jesus. Jesus gives the message to the angel. The angel gives the message to the church or to John. So whoever receives this message receives it directly from the throne of God. Whatever group of people this is that John represents receives a message directly from God for that message to be given to the world. And I haven't read one spirit of prophecy quote yet, but I will because I'm not afraid. Of... What does that book look like? We already talked about that. It's written on both sides before I get there. What is another name for the tables of the testimony? I want to read that. Go to Deuteronomy 9, verse 9 and 11. What is another name for the tables of the testimony, according to Scripture? And I have a, a, a brave soul who is planning to give the loud cry, stand and read the verse. Again, we need to practice reading the Word of God, all right? Deuteronomy 9, verse 9 and verse 11. Nine? Yes. Okay. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant... Wait! What is it called? So the Ten Commandments are here called the tables of the... Key reading. Which the Lord made with you. Then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. Verse 11. Yep. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. Thank you very much. So the tables that we read about... <coughs> that Moses received off the mountain are called the tables of the covenant. And we see an angel that comes down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, divinity, face shining like the sun, just like Moses' face shone. And he's coming down to give a covenant relationship to a people, just like the children of Israel received the covenant from God. Do you see it from the Bible? I want to read this to you. This is Manuscript Release, page 296, paragraph 3. You may not understand this. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this one, okay? Pay attention to this. This is commenting on Revelation 5, the book. It says, there in his open hand lay the book, the role of the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations and the church. Herein was contained the divine utterances, his authority, his what? No, no, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic counsel of the eternal and the history of all the ruling powers in the nations. In symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of earth's history to his what? To his close. That is powerful. Isn't that powerful? So who, no one's able to open the book. John doesn't even know what's in the book. But we're told what's in the book. The whole prophetic council. Your life is in there. My life is in there. Every nuance of everything is in that book. Now think about this for a moment because I'm, I'm going to challenge your thinking just a tad bit. In Revelation chapter 5, it's a book that contains the whole prophetic council. It's just called the book. 
But in Revelation chapter 10, it's called a little book. Are you paying attention to me right now? So if in Revelation chapter 5, it contains all the prophetic counsel of all time, then the little book could not contain the whole. It just has a, a small portion. It's something that's been taken out of this, but it's reserved. There's something specific about what's in this little book. Are you following me so far? So a little further. Yeah, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop with this thought. Put a little, can I use the word pause? <laughs> Put a pause right here. I had to get permission first, you know. <laughs> Let's read in Revelation chapter 10. Notice what the Bible says now. Still in verse number two. We've only covered one verse. <laughs> We're in verse two now. And he had, his, had in his little hand an open book, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. What does that mean? Let's go to Deuteronomy 11, verse 24, okay? Deuteronomy 11, verse 24. Deuteronomy 11, verse 24. Who, who has it? Who has the verse? Who's going to read for us? Go ahead and read, my sister. Thank you very much. Treads on shall be yours from the wilderness of Le- from the wilderness of Lebanon from the river river Euphrates even to the western sea shall be your territory. Amen. So tell me something. If somebody's foot goes on the land, what is that saying according to the verse? That's right. It belongs to them. There's dominion there. Is that right? Uh, I need you to pay attention because again I'm going to shift on you in a moment. <laughs> So in Deuteronomy 11:24, it's saying that wherever the feet is, that means it belongs to that individual. He's conquered that place. Go to Joshua 1, verse 3. Again, you need at least two witnesses, so I'm going to go two witnesses on you. Joshua 1 and verse 3. You have it? All right, go ahead and read for me, brother. Thank you. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. All right, do you see it again? So the angel has his foot on the land, and he has his foot on the what? On the sea. Is that right? Everybody follow? So now when you go to the book of Revelation chapter 13, there's a beast that comes up out of the... And there's a beast that comes up out of the... Challenging the authority of who? Are Are you paying attention? The beast from the earth and the beast from the sea are challenging the authority of the angel. You see, this is? I love, I love it. I like the lights coming on. Ding! <laughs> Again, the Bible explains itself. All right, let's do a little different. Down here, I have the, all these are saying pretty much the same thing. So write all those down in a little category. I'm going to do these ones now. Now, these ones are a little different. But they're saying the same thing, but they're a little different. And they're going to set you up for another idea in a moment. But Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, let's start there. In Revelation 11 and verse 2. And again, we're highlighting this angel coming down, this covenant-keeping God who's the leader of God's people. Yeah, he's, he's divine, and he's entered into a covenant relationship. He has this little book in his hand, which is part of a larger book. So in the Revelation 11, verse 2, who's going to read that one for us? Revelation 11, 2. Yes, sister. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Okay, so based on this verse, 
Is it a good thing that's been trod underfoot or a bad thing that's being trod underfoot? I ask again. Let's read it one more time. Little, little sis, if you don't mind, just read that one more time for us. Pay attention to the words that are being read. Go ahead. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Tread. How do you spell tread? Oh, A? Yeah. D? Okay, thank you. So the Gentiles will tread underfoot. The holy city. Is that good or bad? Does everybody agree that's a bad thing? Huh? Pray? Break? You need a break? You guys need a break? Okay, let's... let's. let's. All right, we'll go, I'll go a little bit more and then we'll take a break. So here, the Gentiles tread underfoot the holy city. Please give me a definitive answer. Is this good or bad? Bad. How long does do the Gentiles tread underfoot the holy city? That's 1260 years, right? That's a bad thing. So for 1260 years, the papal power is going to dominate, persecute, and prosecute the people of God, and they're going to be tread underfoot, which means that this evil power is dominating the people of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Are the people of God ever to be dominated? Are you sure? Wait a second. Where's the unsurety? I'll ask one more time. Are the people of God ever to be dominated? Who said yes? D- dominated by who? <laughs> okay, I agree with that. All right. <laughs> but are they supposed to be dominated by, this, by Satan? No. Absolutely not. So when we read that this has transpired for 1260 years, it's a problem. Does everybody agree? Yeah. All right, let's go a little further, and then we're going to take a break. Man, it's been an hour already. That's crazy. All right. Let's go a little further. Let's go to the book of, book of Amos. Before we go to Amos, let's read this one first, Isaiah 31, verse 4. Watch carefully. It says, For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion, roaring on his what? Pray. When a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. Go back to Revelation 10. Notice what it says right there in verse number 3. You see it right there in verse 3? Verse 3 says, And crying with a loud voice, as when a what? Who's roaring like this? This is the angel. The angel of the covenant is roaring like a lion. And when this lion roars, when God speaks like a lion in this verse, the prey, those who have been persecuted and prosecuting God's people, need to take notice. Do you see it? It says, For thus saith the Lord spoken unto me, like the lion and the lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is calling forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion. Who's Mount Zion? That's the church. That's God's people. So in other words, when you see this lion roaring, he is making a declaration to the enemies of God that I'm about to handle you. That's what he's saying. Let's go a little further. Go to Hosea. No, go to Proverbs. You put Hosea in your notes. Go to Proverbs 19, verse 12. 
Proverbs 19, verse 12. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 19 and verse 12. I have a volunteer reader. All right, sis. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Come on now. That's such a deep verse. There's so many places we can go with that. But the king's wrath is like the roaring of a what? But his favor is like the dew. Interesting. Proverbs 20, verse 2. Proverbs 20 and verse 2. Notice again here what the Bible says. What does Proverbs 20 and verse 2 say? Go ahead and stand and read for us. Go ahead. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. Did you hear that? So this angel of the covenant comes down and he roars like a, like a lion, giving warning to the prey. I'm coming to eat you. You mess with my children too long. Amen. It's time for me to make recompense and put things right. He is taking his rightful position as the king. But let's go a little further with, that, with this idea. I want you to go to Amos chapter 3 verse 4. Now this is the part that got me kind of happy when I was studying. I was like, man, that's deep. Because I love, I love how the Bible just again speaks for itself. Amos chapter 3 and verse 4. And we're going to read 4 and 8. Who wants to read that for us? All right, so thank you. Um, it says, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Wait. The question is, will a lion roar if he has no prey? What's the answer? No, no he roars because he has some. He roars and paralyzes his prey when he roars. Is that right? Keep going, little sis. Uh, will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? The answer is no. Look at verse 8. Now watch this. Um, a lion has roared. He will not fear. Wait. So when the lion roars, what's supposed to happen? Keep going. The Lord God has spoken. Who can but Wait. So the Lord has spoken. Again, this is one of those Hebrew parallelisms. The Lord has spoken. Who will not what? All right. So when the lion roars, fear comes. It's like God speaking and somebody has to prophesy. Are you paying attention? So when the lion roars, fear comes on the prey. God speaks, somebody's prophesying. And when God's people begin to prophesy like they're supposed to, the enemies of God become afraid. Again, this is a description of what's happening in Revelation chapter 10. This covenant-keeping God coming to make a declaration of what he's about to do to those who have been trotting underfoot his people. Let's go a little further. Building the case. Look at the verse of Revelation 10. Go back to Revelation 10. And I said I was going to give you a break. All right, let's take a break. <laughs> let's take a break. Let's have a short word of prayer. And I'm going to give you a two-minute break, jumping jacks, you know, whatever you need to do to get alive again, and then come back. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and mercy and for the joy of studying your word. We ask for a continued outpouring of your presence that we can have a clearer understanding of you and your plan for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.